So let's, um, we'll get started. And I wanted to ask, uh, as we get started, um, why did you want to be in this seminar? And so um, what are you hoping to get out of it? And so, so this, I'm asking for a reason. I'd love to know because I've got some flexibility with my last two days as to what we do. So I want to make sure that we cover uh, what you're hoping we cover. And so I would love to hear from you um, why you picked this seminar or what you're hoping to get out of it. Anybody bold enough to say, please? Um, I picked it because I have a really hard time with mission. I think I'm like really defeated and I've seen people do it wrong. And I'm not really passionate about it. I don't think I should be. Okay. Fair. Great. Somebody else, please? Uh, I find that I have some family that doesn't know the Lord and they're like the hardest people to evangelize to. And I just want to know how to do that better. So. Great. Yeah, we'll talk, let's talk about family. Um, I grew up in an unbelieving family, um, so most of my family are not believers, and so that's a hard thing. It's great. Somebody else? I just want to learn how to be able to be a witness for Christ in my everyday life and all that I do. Great. Yes? I want to know what role uh, work, uh, vocation, takes place with missions, how that interacts. Okay. Anybody else? Please. I feel like too often we, I like see evangelism as like building relationships and like there's definitely like a real true evangelism part of it that like they like the students specifically kind of miss as far as going out like just going after people and just loving them and just saying, I'll just, I'll just be friends with you and this would be great and just leaving it there. Okay. Pushing forward. So um, you've seen friendships develop but really never. Like, yeah. The gospel delivered or yeah. shared. Great. Anybody else want to share? I'd love to hear why you uh, chose this seminar. Um, mine was a little bit of family too, but as well as not so much going across the country and like leading, but also through the relationships that we're surrounded by. So that makes sense. So, um, Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Sorry. <laughs> so say, yeah, say that one more time. My pen just exploded. Mine was mainly definitely for family. Okay. But as well as being able to lead others to Christ, not necessarily going across the country. Yeah. Um, but within those relationships that we already have. Yes, that makes sense. Great. Um, yeah. So, please. Alright, so I'm like really into when I'm older, I want to be like, obviously with the guy or my husband, I want to like, help lead the youth. And I would love to do like missions of evangelism through like my church in that way because like. At, like when I was in high school, I loved going on mission trips, and it's like my desire. So this is just kind of like I don't know, just like a head start, like how to really go about doing that, and how to lead others that also like even the youth at a church can't necessarily say that they know exactly what they're going into. So how to lead people to go into what the main goal is in a different area, yeah. and even in community. Yeah. 
so not it doesn't have to be like across the world, but in the United States and wherever sure. uh, we're lit, I guess. Okay, great. Anybody else? Share. Um, next question: uh, How many of you grew up in a Christian home? Okay. Um, how many did not grow up in a Christian home? Okay. It's interesting. Take note. Um, uh, how many of you have interest in um, missions? It's great. Okay, and it's okay if you don't. I'm just sort of curious as to um, why people are here. Uh, feel free to, to approach me during this week if you um, have thoughts or something that you would like me to talk about. Um, make sure that we hit on. So please feel free to do that. Um, I want to introduce to you uh, my daughter, Karis. So she's here. She was helping to hand out, um, uh, pass out the handouts. I've got uh, three daughters, uh, 10, 8, and 6. Karis is my 10-year-old. My wife is Christy, and we're at the University of California, Irvine. And so um, just a little background. Um, we, uh, we've been all over the place. So I started RUF. Um, in the late 90s, and I was at the University of Missouri for five years, um, and then we left uh, the University of Missouri to start a new RUF at Penn State University, so we were there for five years where Karis was born, and then uh, after starting that RUF, we went to start a new RUF at the University of Minnesota, and uh, did that, we were there for seven years, and that's where my wife's from, and then we left uh, this past July to start an RUF in California. And Irvine is uh, below um, uh, Los Angeles, so it's the first RUF um, south of Los Angeles to the Mexican border. So that's where we are now. Um, and uh, even even before that, um, part of my story is I grew up in a family, in a large family. Um, uh, my dad's one of 12 kids. My mom was one of six kids. Um, and all of them, except for two, lived in my hometown. Um, and so, huge extended family, um, and nobody was a believer. Um, and so, uh, I was, as far as I know, the first believer. Um, I got converted in college. So, I went away to college, and I went to play um, Division II football at a place called Shippensburg University, Pennsylvania. Anybody heard of Shippensburg? Yeah. So, I, I grew up on the, uh, so not many people have, but, but I grew up on the Pennsylvania-Maryland border by Gettysburg. Um, just on the Maryland side, uh, went to Shippensburg University, um, and then my freshman year, I started really wrestling with what's the meaning of life. And so, so I got on the campus, and I'm, I'm playing football, so I reported early to be there, and I just started thinking, why, why am I here? Like, does this football matter? Does does anything matter? Um, is there a God? Um, is there a purpose? And so it was a hard time. So I struggled for. Um, first four or five months of college, I was depressed, um, I was discouraged, but really that question of why am I here, what's the meaning of life? And so I saw a sign um, on campus, and, and I, I, I already thought Christians were, were weird. Um, that, was, that was my experience. Um, and there was this sign in my dorm, and it said, uh, Christian fellowship, come and be loved. So weird, but like... <laughs> <laughs> but I was so desperate, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I took eight guys from my dorm with me. I was like, I am not going 
to this group. Because in my mind, there's ten people holding hands in a circle. And I'm not going by myself. So I took eight guys with me, and we show up at this Christian group, and there's about eight people. And um, they were normal people. And I thought, well, this is different than I had expected. They were nice. And, uh, and so I just decided that I was going to go to every event that they had until I figured out whether or not Christianity was true. And so that was the last, that was the last uh, week of the semester. And so I came back January of my freshman year, and I went to their Thursday night meeting, and, and, and I had made this deal that whatever they did, I was going to go to. And so the very next night, Friday night, was a prayer party. Three hours of prayer. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I went, and I sat for three hours. I just listened. And then afterwards, a guy came up. His name was Todd Andrews. And um, he was a cool guy, a regular guy. And he was just asking me what I was, why I was there. And I told him, I was honest, that I was trying to figure out the meaning of life, just trying to figure out if this is true or not. And so he said to me, he said, oh, that's great. He said, do you have any interest in uh, getting together? Um, we could meet once or twice a week and study a book of the Bible for 30, 40 minutes. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the deal that I made was, if anything's offered, I do it. So I said, yeah. And so we got together um, twice a week that spring semester, and we studied the book of James. And we would read a little bit of James, and then, he, and then we would exchange prayer requests. And I remember Todd was just so honest. He would say things like, I'm going to go um, visit my girlfriend and uh, pray for my purity. I want to honor the Lord this weekend, and so pray that I would treat her well. And I thought, I've never heard anybody talk like this. Like, like, like this was somebody who was taking his faith seriously. And so through Todd, I became a Christian at the end of my freshman year. And, and my life was changed. Um, and so I've always been interested in evangelism um, because of sort of how I grew up with, with mostly unbelievers and somebody leading me to the Lord. And so um, we'll, we'll get to talk about evangelism uh, this week. Um, a couple things before we get going. Uh, I know that there are, I'll have these books out, um, but you're welcome to look at these books. Um, these are two books that I've used for, uh, been reading through for missions, the missions part. This is a John Piper book, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is a history of missions, um, Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, I think that's what it's called. Um, and then, and if you're interested, I've got some videos that you can watch um, sometime during this week about missions. And so this is, uh, I think it's about 45 minutes of missions to China. And then this is missions to Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Um, but those are some things. And I'll show you some other things as well. I'll keep on giving you uh, things to look at or um, if you want to follow up. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in, okay? Father, thank you so much for a uh, chance to be uh, together, for a chance to think about um, evangelism, a chance to think about missions, a chance to think about what you've done in our lives, um, how the gospel is powerful. Lord, a chance to think about those who do not know you, uh, to think about how you are calling us into that, what kind of call that is, whether it's optional, whether it's something that everyone has to do, or help us to process um, what role we play or what you're calling us to. 
Um, would you give us a big picture of you? And Lord, would we desire to tell people about you so that you might be seen as most beautiful? Lord, thank you for these folks here. Um, Lord, I know that uh, they're coming um, from all kinds of places. Um, maybe they are feeling close to you. Maybe they are not. Um, maybe they are doubting whether they know you or not. Maybe um, they can't wait to uh, start living out their Christian life, Lord. I pray that you'd be at work in, in their lives. And we pray that you would help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about uh, a missionary um, couple, uh, Paul and Lois Carlson. So Paul and Lois Carlson. Uh, Paul was born in 1928. He was born in California. And uh, he uh, was trained as a doctor. He was married to Lois. Lois was born in Michigan. She was trained as a nurse. And in 1963, uh, they uh, decided that they wanted to serve Jesus by joining the Christian Medical Society as medical missionaries. And they wanted to go to the Congo um, in Africa to serve. And they, they wanted to not only serve and to, to help people, to heal people, but really they wanted to be able to share the gospel. They wanted to tell people about uh, Jesus. And so uh, they went in 1963, and uh, at the time, the Congo was in a lot of turmoil politically. Um, they had just gained their independence from Belgium, and um, there was lots of chaos going on in the country at this time. Foreigners were, were ordered to leave the country. And so this is where Paul and Lois find themselves entering into a country that's politically volatile, where visitors are asked to leave, but they wanted to come. They wanted to come, sir, because there were only three medical doctors in all of the province where they were, there in the Congo. And so, on average, they would see about 200 patients a day. Uh, Lois was busy. She was trying to serve um, as a nurse, but also they had two children, and she's trying to run a household without any kind of modern appliances. And this is what Lois, uh, it's, uh, this is on your sheet, but this is her quote. Um, what she has to say about their decision uh, to go to missions, into missions. So it was so easy to look at the undemanding side of life, to look forward to a comfortable existence, to expect the things that all women and families would like to have. It was easy to look forward with our medical colleagues to a better, under, to a better standard of living, as we Americans term it, and that we have all the comforts money can buy. We were on the verge attaining that kind of life, and now we were faced with a decision that had to be made, that we had known would have to be made, and it had to be made by the both of us. So going to the Congo would be hard. And uh, they went uh, with their two children, and about a year later, uh, in the northwest part of the Congo where they were stationed, um, it became volatile. And so their warring tribes began to enter into this area, and so not wanting to take unnecessary risks, risks, Paul took his wife, Lois, their two children, and they moved them into the country of Central African Republic, which is to the north. And so Paul returned to go back to the Congo so he could pack up the makeshift hospital, pack it up, and then get ready to leave. Now, while he was back in the Congo packing up the hospital, um, he was overtaken 
by a people called the Simbas, and they were a rebel group in the Congo. And the Simbas had already killed other missionaries. And so Paul, for the next three months, was in captivity. He endured three months of physical and mental torture. Then, um, at the end of 1964, an operation was led by Belgian paratroopers um, to land into the Congo to fight against these Simbas, who had had multiple missionaries. Um, they were holding multiple missionaries. And so, during this firefight, the missionaries, about four or five of them, found themselves sort of in the middle of it. And they were lying face down in the streets. And so they realized that they were not going um, probably not going to make it if they didn't leave. They didn't do something, and so they decided to make a run for it. So the five of them get up and they run, and they run to the edge of the city where there was a wall, and so they started going over the wall one by one, and Paul was the one who was trying to help them get over. All four made it over. Paul starts to climb over, and he's shot, and he's killed. At the end of 1964. And at his funeral, there were many Africans who came to the funeral um, to show appreciation to the man who had served them for over a year as their doctor. And on his gravestone in the African Lingala language is this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And they were talking about Paul, who had come to serve the, the people of the Congo, uh, they were talking about Paul, who had served his fellow missionaries, and even trying to help them to freedom. But that verse, ultimately, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus in, in, in John chapter 15. That Jesus is the one who lays down his life for his friends. And that's really the heart of missions, and that's really the message of evangelism, is that Jesus lays down his life for his friends. And so... We get this word, I'll break this down a little bit, so evangelism, or the evangel, right? So evangelism, or evangel, it's a Greek word, and uh, what this word means, it's, in the Greek, it's two words. So it's you, and then it's angelion. And you, Angelian, means well, and it means to announce. And so, um, or good. And so, it's a good announcement. And so, in the day, um, the evangel is a word that Christians took over. Um, because the, the evangel, or the euangelium, was an announcement that a messenger would have. So, so after, after there was a victory, after the armies were battling each other, the, the winning army would have their messenger, and they would send him back quickly to their country or to their people, and they would bring back the euangelion or the evangel, which was an announcement of victory. And so victory has been won. And so the messenger brought the, evan the evangel. And so Christians have taken that word, and we use it now to say that the victory has been won by Jesus. It's already been accomplished. And so we are messengers who take the euangelium or the evangel, and we announce it to other people. Victory has been won. Jesus is alive. He has paid for our sins, and now he lives resurrected. 
And so that's sort of where this evangel comes from. So it's, it means good news. Um, and mission, then, is the task or the duty that a people have um, or have been assigned to do. And so then evangelism, if you put it all together, evangelism is the message of good news that Jesus has sacrificed his life for us so that we might be right with God. And then the mission is the duty of taking the evangel or the good news out into the world or out into our college campus, out into our neighborhood, into our family, um, to the Congo. And so the mission doesn't have to be overseas. The mission could be in your dorm or in your apartment as well. So um, I want to I tell you my goal. So I've got some goals for you this week. Um, and it's five things that I really am hoping for you. Um, and that's in front of you. Uh, the first is that you will know God's sacrificial and pursuing love um, for you better at the end of this seminar. So I really want you to walk away from this seminar feeling like, I can't believe Jesus loves me the way he does. That's my first goal, is that you would realize how much he loves you and what he's done to show you his love. My second goal is that you will have a better understanding of God's missional heart for the lost. I want you to see God in, in, in a clear way, this one aspect of, of his desire, and I want you to see how much he loves the lost. I want you to be surprised at how much God loves the lost at the end of this seminar. The third thing is that uh, you will joyfully grasp um, what it means to follow Jesus by telling others about him. That, that you would find joy in God's calling to, to share the gospel with other people. Fourth thing is that practically you'll be better equipped to do it. So I want you to leave the seminar feeling like, okay, I've got a better idea of what to say to people, of how to say it, of what it might look like. And so just a little more confidence in, in what to say and how to do it. And the fifth thing is that you would have some kind of involvement in domestic or world missions. And so, um, and we'll get to that, that you'd have some kind of practical involvement. And that could look like a bunch of different things. Um, speaking of that, uh, we have a guest here today. Um, and, and you will see her uh, this week. She's an incredible resource uh, that we have this week. Uh, Opal is there in the back. Wave, Opal. There she is. She's very cool, first of all. But And, and I've traveled with her. Um, we've been to uh, Italy. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time with her. Uh, but she helps connect college students um, to missions. And so it could be missions here in the U.S. Could be the mission. could be missions overseas. And so her expertise is taking RUF students and helping them go serve somewhere. So if you have an interest in serving somewhere here, somewhere overseas, there's no person better in our denomination than Opal to ask about this. So, so use her this week. You'll be here till Thursday? Okay, cool. And free all afternoon. <laughs> free in the afternoon. So, so I would say even if you want, if you're interested, say to Opal, can I have five minutes of your time? Let's meet at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, ask her that. She, she would love to do that. Okay. All right. So, so what, will, what will our four days look like? Um, today we're going to talk about God's heart for the lost. So I want you to be surprised at, at how big God's heart is for the lost. Um, tomorrow we'll talk about motivation. So what's a proper motivation for evangelism? And then we'll get practical. Why is it so hard 
Um, and then we'll also get encouraging. What, what is the encouragement of evangelism? Um, and so we'll begin to be practical at the second half of day two tomorrow. Day three is when we'll talk about how do we share the gospel? Like, what does it look like to have conversations? Um, how do we go about doing that? How do we engage people? So that's when we get practical. Day four, we'll talk some about evangelism and missions, but in very practical ways. Um, I'll talk to you some about missions. I'll talk to you about some um, beautiful ways of missions and even what somebody over here was asking about. Some of the things that missionaries have done that have not worked out very well because um, they weren't great ideas. And some, some, there's some crazy stories about missions. It's really fascinating. Um, which is my book blurb. If you would like to read um, stories about missionaries and some of the things that have worked and not worked, this is a great practical book. Um, to read. This is, this is my favorite book on missions that I've read. Okay, so we're going to dig into the, the heart of God um, right now. Um, so I want, what I want, is I want God's heart for the lost to impact your heart for the lost. I want God's heart for the lost to begin to shape your heart for the lost. Is there a, Karen, can you see a eraser? An eraser. Okay. Um, well, here's an eraser, but it's the wrong kind. Um, so when it comes to um, sharing the gospel, I think sharing the gospel is really important for a number of reasons. Um, and one of the reasons... Um, is because it begins to, to have great effects. So we talk about the meat. Yes. Oh, thank you. We talk of, you guys ever heard the phrase means of grace? Basically, it's what God has given to us um, to help us to know him and love him. And, and I think evangelism, telling people about Jesus, is, is, a, is like a means of grace. Because when, when we love Jesus... When we are excited about Jesus and we're encouraged about what the Lord is doing in our lives, we want to tell others about Jesus, right? It's sort of it's sort of a natural flow. So you begin to see what He's doing in your life. You begin to feel the weight of, of His love and what He's done for you, and so you can't help but want to share that with other people. And the beautiful thing about evangelism is is when you begin to tell people. Um, about what Jesus has done for you, like it just feeds into your love for him. Like you, you grow to love him more. And so the more you tell the story of how Jesus has saved you and died for you, it's, you just love him more. And so it's this circle then of, of your love begins to grow and you want to tell people about him more and more. I'm going to give us a little quick overview um, of the Bible. Um, to see uh, God's heart for the lost. And most of the passages are on your handouts. Um, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And so Genesis chapter chapter 12, um, right, it's the beginning of the Bible, it's the beginning of, of the story, and we come to Abraham. And so we've only had, before Abraham, we've had Adam and Eve, we have Noah, but there's not much more, or not much else besides... Um, those stories, and so it's pretty early into the scripture story. 
And there in chapter 12, God comes to Abraham, and this is what he says. It's on your handout. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. So that's interesting. I will make you, Abraham, you, single Abraham, into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And so God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be what? A blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Right? And so then he says, um, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he has this statement. This is powerful. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. That's a huge statement. So, so, so far the story is, you've got Abraham. Abraham has a son, and his name is Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Right? And so, Abraham's grandson is Jacob. And then Jacob is blessed by God, and Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis chapter 32. And he's wrestling with God, and then Jacob gets a nickname, or a new name. Do you know, anybody know what the name is that Jacob gets? Israel. That's right. And so Jacob now becomes Israel, and then Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so now from Abraham... You have a nation. So there's your nation. And this is the nation that is supposed to bless the world. So somehow this nation, this people, will be a blessing to the world. Now that nation, Israel, we now call, or the Bible calls Israel, because it's not just Jews, but it's anybody who believes in Jesus, and so this nation of Israel is now the new nation, which is called, does anybody know? The church. Right? So, so the church is the new nation. And so, so the church is going to be the blessing to the world. And so this is what we see in Galatians Chapter 3, this is on your handout also. So the question is, how will all of the world be blessed through Israel, then the church? Um, which we would even say Israel was the church also, just to not be confusing. Um, but now the new nation is all people who believe in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. And so, Galatians chapter 3 this is the great, I call it the great notion of the great nation. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, so what you see is this idea of justification Tom talked about last night, that you are made right with God through faith. So we're credited with righteousness, we're righteous through faith. And so then he says, understand that those who have faith are the children of Abraham, right? So, so if you have faith in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham, you are part of his family, which is Israel, or the church. And so then, what that means then is, uh, verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And so the message is that you can be made right with God through faith. And so that's the message that goes out. And so the way that the world is going to be blessed is by taking the message of the gospel, that you can be made right with God through faith. That is the blessing. That the main way that this world can experience blessing is when they hear about Jesus. And that's what God gave to Abraham and to his church, to us. I'm going to keep on going. Um, New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he's walking, it says he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And so he says, that Jesus says to them, come follow me. And then he tells them what it will be like for them to follow Jesus. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. And so if you follow me, you need to know that part of what it means to follow me is that you're going to fish for men. You're going to fish for people. Matthew chapter 9. Um, Jesus has a prayer request. Do you know this is the only time in the Bible, Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus asks anyone to pray for him? Um, when he's in the garden, he tells the disciples to not fall asleep, but he doesn't ask them to pray. This is the only time um, that Jesus asks somebody to pray for them. And, and, and what is the prayer request of Jesus? Here it is, Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He sees them, he sees the crowds, compassionate. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So here's his prayer request. Pray to God, for ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so Jesus says, if you want to know how you can pray for me, because my heart breaks over all these people who are without a shepherd. Pray for me that God the Father would send people into the harvest field to take the good news to these people. That's how you can pray for me, Jesus says. We move on, uh, Luke chapter 15. We really see the heart of God um, for the lost here. So Luke chapter 15, we have three different parables, but they're all about the same thing. There's a loss, there's something that is lost um, in each of the parables. And so the first parable, you've got a shepherd, and a shepherd has a hundred sheep. And so one of the sheep uh, is lost. And so that, that's 1% of somebody's wealth, because you have your wealth not in the bank, but you'd have it in livestock, whatever. And so 1% is lost. And so the shepherd, then, um, is in a desperate situation. And so what you have first is that the loss, the loss has tremendous value, 1% of the wealth. The second, the second one um, parable, you see that there's a woman who's a widow, and she has 10 coins, and one of those coins is lost. So 10% of her wealth, she has lost. That's a big deal. She's a widow. Um, she's living on her own. Um, she's, she doesn't have much money. She's just lost 10% of it. The third parable, you see that there's a father, and he has two sons. And one of the sons leaves. So now he only has one 
son left. And so, that which is lost has tremendous value in each of these three parables. But the second thing that we see um, is that there's an all-out search for that which is lost because of the tremendous value. And so, in the first parable, the shepherd leaves the other 99 behind so that he can find the one lost sheep. The second parable, um, the coin is lost, and it's lost in her house. It's going it's to be a small house. She can't find the coin. And so, instead of waiting until the morning when it was light, she can't sleep. And so she has an all-out search where she begins to search the house until she can finally find the coin. Because she can't sleep without it. There's an all-out search. And that's what we see in the third parable. is one of the sons leaves, but then you have this picture of the father who is just standing and looking and waiting to see if his son will ever return. He's just waiting and watching. And so first you have, the loss has tremendous value. Secondly, there's an all-out search. And the third thing in Luke chapter 15 is that when the lost is found, it's a beautiful celebration. And so when the shepherd finds the one lost sheep, he calls his neighbors and his families and he says, we have to celebrate, I found the sheep, and have a party. When the woman finds the lost coin, she calls up her friends and her family, and they have a huge party because the coin is found. And the same thing in the last parable. When the son returns, there, there's a party that takes place. And uh, in Luke 15, this is what it says, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so, how does the heart of God celebrate? How does God rejoice? It's when somebody who is lost comes to repentance. So in other words, if you want to see the heart of God thrilled, watch when somebody comes to faith in Christ. That thrills the heart of God. When, uh, when Walt Disney was dying of lung cancer, um, Walt Disney, so we're learning all kinds of Walt Disney facts now, because um, we live... 20 minutes from Disneyland um, in Irvine, California. And, uh, and so that's been, that's, I, I've got time, so I'll tell you this funny story. Um, so when we were in, uh, we were, we had a hard decision as to where we would go um, after uh, Arya from Minnesota. So, so I've, um, I feel called to be a planter, to start, to start new ministries where ministries have not existed. And so, um, so we were trying to decide. We knew that we were going to have to leave Minnesota. We'd been there seven years. The ministry was planted and established. And so we, we'd been praying about what we would do. Um, hard decisions. And we ended up deciding um, UC Irvine for a number of reasons. Um, and so the time came when we had to sit down, um, our girls, our three daughters, Christy and I, and to tell them what we were going to do. And so um, we sat them down. I remember it was... After school, one day we were sitting down on the couch, and, uh, um, and my wife was on the couch with the four girls, and I had a chair pulled up in front of them. And I said, girls, you know that mommy and daddy have been called by God to start ministries. And that's all that I said. And Karis said, wait a minute. We're not moving, are we? And I said, just let me finish. And I wanted to explain how God had called us and how... We had this calling on our lives to start things. And so Karis starts to cry. 
And so she is starting to cry. And so my six-year-old, who was five years old at the time, she's watching Karis. And she, you know, she's, not, she's not picking up what's going on, but she's watching Big Sister. And she, her head's going back and forth. So she starts to cry because she's crying and she thinks we're moving. She, she heard something about a move. And so now my wife looks at the oldest and the youngest, so she starts to cry. And so now three girls are crying. Now my middle daughter, she starts to pick up what's going on. Um, she's a little bit like me in personality, always the last person to pick up something. And so she's like, what, are we moving? And, uh, and so she gets off the couch and she starts jumping up and down. We're moving, we're moving. And of course, this was at the end of the cycle when we were, every night, we are playing a different Frozen YouTube video where somebody is singing the, the Frozen theme song. And so, so I said to the girls, don't you want to know um, where we're moving? And they said, Okay, where are we moving? Because I had no idea. And I said, we're going to be only 20 minutes from where Anna and Elsa live. <laughs> and they said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, so, so we came uh, to be near Anna and Elsa. And we've been learning all kinds of Walt Disney facts. So uh, Walt Disney, um, who was a genius, um, was a chain smoker. He would smoke five packs a day, but he was five packs. But he was very careful in that you. There's no pictures of him smoking, almost no pictures. And he, because he never wanted the children to see him smoking, because he knew that it wasn't good for them. And so when he is on his deathbed, um, dying of lung cancer, um, he wrote down. He couldn't talk. He was unable to speak. He wrote down his final message. Um, and his final message, the last word that he would ever write down or communicate were two words. Kurt Russell. Do you know who Kurt Russell is? You know, he's probably in his 60s now. He's a pretty famous actor. He's done some, some really good movies. Not a lot lately, but 90s, early 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Some big stuff. He's married to Goldie Hawn. Um, is he still married to Goldie Hawn? I don't know. No, okay. Um, but, he, but Kurt Russell was a child actor at that time working for Disney. And he writes down his name. And to this day, nobody has any idea why Walt Disney wrote down Kurt Russell. Because he wrote it down, and then he died. But just the opposite of that is Jesus. Jesus is very clear with his final words of what he wanted his people to understand. We were trying to communicate. It's, it's Matthew chapter 28. It's the very end of that chapter. And this reflects his heart and his desire. This is what he says, Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth, it belongs to me. And with that authority and with that power, I am sending you out with that authority and with that power. And what I want you to do is I want you to go. 
I want you to go like Abraham did. I want you to go to people, and I want you to teach them about me. I want you to disciple them. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to help them to walk with me, and I want you to help them to obey everything that I've said. It was his final words. They were very clear what he wanted, what his intentions are for his people. He was sending us out with the greatest gift that the world has ever seen. In fact, it's the blessing for the world. Uh, in Minnesota, um, there's, uh, they had these Ronald McDonald houses. Have you heard of these places, these Ronald McDonald houses? It's this great idea that McDonald's um, has uh, to have these homes, large homes, located near a hospital, often near children's hospitals. And so it's, it's for children who are dying, who have a terminal illness. And so the children can stay there in the Ronald McDonald house in a, very, in a much more comfortable setting. It's more comfortable for parents. Parents can sometimes stay there as well. And so it's this wonderful idea. A few years ago, um, in Minneapolis, where, where we were living, uh, there was a boy named Mitch. He was uh, at the Ronald McDonald house, eight years old, and dying of cancer. And so he was there, and um, he had been there for several months. So he'd gotten to know uh, some of the people who were close to his age and different patients who were there. And in fact, he was sharing a room. It was a nice room. He was sharing it with another eight-year-old boy. And so one day, um, it was near Christmas, uh, he was in his room uh, with his dad. And on the other side of the room um, was his roommate and, and his roommate's parents. And so they were there. And... Of course, they couldn't help but hear this conversation that went on with, with Mitch's roommate. Um, Mitch's roommate said to his parents, um, will there be presents this year for Christmas? And uh, the roommate's parents said, I'm sorry, son. We've used all of our money in trying to get you better. We don't have any money left for presents. So this eight-year-old roommate began to cry. They began to weep, and Mitch and his dad heard all of this, and it just broke their hearts. Later that night, Mitch says to his dad when they were alone, Dad, we've got to do something about this. What can we do? And so then Mitch said, Dad, how much do I have in my bank account? Now, uh, Mitch's parents were wealthy, and so he had $6,000 in his bank account, which is pretty good for an eight-year-old. <laughs> and Mitch says to his dad, um, I want to get it out. So the next day, they went to the bank, and they took out $6,000. And they stopped at a CVS store, and they bought envelopes. And then that day, they started to uh, write names on envelopes of Mitch's friends there in the Ronald McDonald's house. And uh, as they'd gotten to know people, they knew some people needed more, some people needed less. But they would put $200 in one envelope, $400 in another envelope, $700 in another envelope. And he just gave all of his money away. And then uh, that day, uh, if, if his friend was in, in their room, he would slide it underneath the door, um, the envelope with the money, the present, the gift. And if the room was open, he would walk in and he would lay it on their bed. And that night, he got to hear these kids just erupt with joy. Uh, they were going to have presents and they were going to have a Christmas. And so these kids were so excited that they were going to be able to have nice things. And at the end of the day, after hearing all of this joy, Mitch said to his dad, Dad, this is the best day of my life. We have to do this next year. And his dad said to Mitch, 
You know, Mitch, we've talked about this. You're not going to be here next year. And Mitch said, I know. And then he said, so Dad, you're going to have to do it for me. And that's what Jesus is saying as he leaves in Matthew 28. He says, this is the greatest gift. And I'm not going to be around to do this anymore. So you're going to have to do it. You're going to get to do it. To take the greatest gift, the blessing to the world, into the world. I want to um, come towards an end and we can finish with some questions. Um, about a story of a missionary to Greenland. Um, Hans Eged uh, was a missionary to Greenland. Now Greenland... Um, I don't know much about Greenland. I don't know if you know much about Greenland. Um, but there are 56,000 people who live in Greenland today, which is not much. It's a huge place. And there's 50,000 people who live here in Panama City Beach in Panama City. So, so it's a small population. Um, but Hans Egan went there um, in the 1600s to be a missionary. He was born um, in Norway. He was born in a Christian home in Norway um, in 1686, and he grew up hearing missionary stories, um, uh, and one in particular caught his attention about missionaries who had gone to Greenland in the 12th century, some 500 years earlier, and so that was always in the back of his mind. Uh, he uh, went through high school, he, was, he became a pastor in the Lutheran church where he served for 10 years. But that calling to take the gospel to a people who might not have heard about Jesus was strong in his life. And so after 10 years, he decided that he wanted to go to Greenland. And so you could imagine, um, even like my mother-in-law in, in Minneapolis, but even significantly more, um, his mother-in-law was not pleased with Hans. Um, moving um, his wife, Gertrude, and their four kids to Greenland. Now, Gertrude uh, is the wife of Hans, and she confessed that she regretted marrying this man um, because she did not want to move to Greenland, because she knew what that meant for their lives. And so, she's devastated, the, mother's de the mother is de mother-in-law is devastated, um, but Hans and Gertrude began to pray together, and this is what Hans um, said about his wife and about her godliness. My dear wife gave proof of her great faith and constancy by representing to me that it was now too late to repent of what had been done. Plans were already set in motion. I cannot say how much she encouraged me by speaking in this way and by the fact that she, a frail woman, showed greater faith and manliness than I. His quote. Um, 1718, Hans and Gertrude leave for Greenland with their four kids. And at one point, Hans, on his way over there, fall, falls into the cold waters. And, and you would think, right, that, that okay, this is a, this is a sign, um, this is not a good idea, let's, let's go back um, to Norway. Uh, but he didn't. Um, he took it as a sign that this is what God wanted him to do. So they, they went it on, the way, on the way to Greenland, um, and the life of a missionary was not as romantic as he had heard about, as he had read about, and even as he had hoped for. Um, once he arrived there, um, the summers are not as nice as you might think, because there's just gnats constantly in Greenland during the summer. 
And the winters are extremely cold and they are long. And he was going there to serve the Eskimo people. And uh, in his mind, he thought, he had two, two hopes. One, that there were still Christians who were there because um, the church had grown, people of God had grown 500 years earlier. So he assumed that there would still be some Christians there. There were not. There were no Christians. 500 years after having several churches in Greenland, 500 years later, there were no Christians left in Greenland. Not one. Um, and he had also hoped that the language that was brought over 500 years to these Eskimos, some kind of dialect would still be, be spoken, that he could understand. It was not. And so he could not communicate, and there were no believers there. And he was by himself, with his wife and his four kids. And it was hard. It was a hard place to take the gospel. Because these Eskimos, um, and, and of course this makes sense, but it's very cold there. And so they would have these houses that were four to six feet high. That's as high as they were. Now the reason is, is because it's so cold there that you want to have your smaller space so you can keep the heat in. And, and so it was, it was a tight place um, to be in. Often, several families would be living there. And, um, you know, to, to make clothing, they would take these hides. But, but to be able to, to preserve the hides, the best preservative that they had was urine. And you can't keep it outside because, because it'll freeze. And so, in their houses, they would have tubs of urine with these, these hides for clothing just soaking in them. And they would also have their fish. And so it was grotesque. So he, because the best way to, 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 to share, to talk, to build these relationships in order to talk about Jesus was you couldn't go to a bar or to a coffee shop. Um, it was so cold that you would have to go to their homes and be in their homes where it smelled like piss and, and fish. And if you were tall, like probably a Norwegian was, it was uncomfortable. And so that's where he was. So after years there, very few converts. They only saw a few converts. One of those converts um, left to go back um, to Norway or Denmark, I forget which one it was. Um, left to go back, this new convert, and he returned. And so he returned, this new convert, and so he would accompany Hans as he would make these stops um, to these homes where the Eskimos would live because he spoke the language better and it was great to have him involved to take him along. But what had happened when he was in either Denmark or Norway, I'll, I'll tell you later, um, was that he picked up smallpox virus. And he didn't know it. He goes back. So he's going with Hans door to door. And these Eskimos begin to get the smallpox virus. And um, they're starting to suffer and die. And it's starting to spread. The gospel was, was almost non-existent. Only a few converts. But what Hans did then was... He began to take these dying people into his home, where he and his wife would nurse them, sometimes back to hell, often until their death. And because of this, his wife became sick, so sick that she died three years later. And he became sick. He, he lived a longer life, but, but he was not the same. His health was failing after that point. But what happened was something beautiful, was that people saw this man laying down his life for these Eskimos. 
bringing them into their home, risking their lives. And so it was at that point that the gospel began then to have a voice. These people wanted to hear what Hans had to say because he lived out something that they hadn't seen. And this was a quote of early 1700s from uh, a person from Greenland. This is what he said. Um, You have been more kind to us than we have been to one another. You have fed us when we were famished. You have buried our dead. You have told us about God so that we may now die gladly in the expectation of a better hereafter. That's a beautiful testimony. I've got three minutes left. Any questions? About anything? I'll be around. Um, Opal will be around. Karis, if you want to talk to Karis about Walt Disney, she'll be around. Um, I'll pray for us. Father, thank you so much for um, a glimpse, a quick glimpse of your heart. Lord, because we were lost and we were of great value to you. When we were lost, there was an all-out search for us. You sent Jesus into this world to suffer. And there was a huge celebration um, when we trusted in you. Lord, your heart rejoiced. Lord, would we understand your heart? Would we understand your love for us? And would that carry us to want to tell other people about it? Whether that's our mom or our dad, whether that's a younger sibling, whether that's friends in apartments or dorms or in our classes, whether that's um, people we play intramurals with, that we go to class with, um, cousins or aunts or uncles that live nearby us, or whether that's across the country, um, to a part in this country that needs to hear you, whether that's across the world, whether that's in our own neighborhood, Lord, would you stir in us? Lord, I pray for, for students here who were like me when I was in college and did not know you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that if they do not know you, if they have um, significant doubts of whether they are Christian or not, um, whether you love them or whether they love you, Lord, would you help them to see and be convinced of your love for them? Um, not with words, but with Jesus all the way to the cross. Um, because greater love has no other this than a man laid down his life for his friends. Pray on this in Jesus' name. Amen.